All right, good morning, Mosaic. We've been, uh, this is week two of our series, and I'm really glad that people came back. <laughs> because uh, sometimes when you talk about really hard stuff, um, it gets uncomfortable. And it gets uncomfortable for the people that are dealing with that stuff. But it also gets uncomfortable for everybody in the room. And uh, so whenever you take on one of those subjects, uh, and last week when we did the sit-down game and, and uh, ask people uh, to sit down if you were connected in any way with divorce, and man, the place just sat down, uh, we began to see, you know, that everybody's affected by it in some way or another. And uh, if you weren't here last week, I just kind of want to just do a quick review, because what we're doing is we're building upon... Uh, a couple of things, um, and leading up to next week where we kind of wrap up the series. And uh, basically, I made the case last week that even if you aren't going through a divorce, uh, even if you're just uh, um, having to restart, if you're at that point where something's happened in your life and, and you've just had to restart, whether it be a loss of a job, or maybe you've flunked out of school, or maybe you've had a boyfriend or girlfriend that you've been together for a while and you, and you broke up. Um, whatever it is, all of our lives are made with points that, where we have to restart. And those intersections are places that create um, those moments for us where we just have to pause for a minute and make a decision on where we're going from here. Now, Last week, I drew this map. I already forgot where I put my marker. All right. So last week, I drew this map, and this was a map that a friend of mine, when I went through my divorce uh, 12 years ago, uh, he drew this picture for me, and he said, I just want to show you um, where, you're, where you're headed for the next couple of years. And then I've taken that map, and that's what I've wrapped this series around, is this picture that he drew. And I know that some of you may not be able to see this very good because I heard that last week, you know. But uh, uh, hopefully, hopefully you'll be able to. Um, but basically, he drew this map, and it started out like this. And then it went like this. And then it came like this. And then I tried to do my best um, Bob Ross imitation here, and I'm going to draw this little little guy over here, and you can make him just however you want to be. And you can put a happy little cloud up here. You know, that, those kind of Bob Ross things. And, uh, but he, he, he pointed to that, that little stick man there, and he goes, Mike, you... You are right here right now, and you have a very steep hill to climb. And he said, what's going to really make it hard is that you're carrying around this sack of stuff. And that sack of stuff is, is like pain and embarrassment. Depression. Just hurt. And it's really heavy. It makes that, makes that path very difficult to travel. And when we left off last week, we were right here. We were at this intersection. And at that intersection, we asked the question, how did I get here? 
And we answered that question by saying it begins with something, and that was owning what? Owning what? Owning your own blame, owning your own part, right? Owning your part. And that began here. And so we, ha- we labeled this the path of hurt. And we labeled this the path of healing. And we labeled this the path of hope. And those are the three paths that we're going to be looking at. And last week we looked at the path of hurt. And then we began to answer that question of how do we get off this path of hurt and onto this path of healing. And we did that by beginning to look at our own part. Okay? Now, I gave you a homework assignment. I, I hate to erase that piece of art, but I'll have to because I have to draw you another amazing piece of art. Hopefully I can do it as good as I did last week because when I got here this morning, my piece of art was still up, and that's kind of cool because they have artists come in here, and I'm sure they were inspired by it. That's probably why they left it up. But, but uh, here, here was the second piece of art. This giant circle. And we called that the circle of what? Circle of blame. And your homework assignment, and I hope that if you're involved in this, I hope that you did that this week because this is such a key role and it's really going to be difficult for you to move into the next part if you didn't do that. But if you weren't here last week, basically the circle of blame is where you look at this circle and you say, what is my part? What was my part in that circumstance? And we talked about that normally we see that as a very small part. And that's what we talked about last week in owning your part, recognizing what you had to do in that circumstance, whether it be the loss of the job, the flunking out of school, whatever that restart is, it was owning your part. And this week, we're going to be looking at the rest of this circle because when we talk about being on the path of healing, we talk about dealing with with the rest of that circle of blame. The robe. It beckons me the moment I wake, inviting me to drape myself in its familiar folds. Before I'm even fully conscious, I reach for it. This worn and tattered garment, this robe with its familiar stains and soothing stench. Oh, it's not comfortable, but it's mine. My onus, my stigma, my security, all at once. It fits. It molds to my frame, knowing the curves, the depressions, the soft, flabby places. Wrapped within its bonds, I remember. I remember the betrayal, the wounds, the injustice, the truth. And I am compelled to speak of it. Look what he did. Look what he did. Look what he did. Look what he did to all who might listen. A warning. My siren song, my anthem. Look what he did. Look what he did. Over and over and over, the refrain is familiar and wearying as those books I used to read to our children, to his children. Look what he did. 
Who will join me in this chorus? Sisters, where are you? Who will drink with me and raise a glass in agreement and acknowledgement of my pain? Look what he did. Look what he did. Sometimes, maybe for a day or two, a week, I forget this robe. I leave it crumpled in the corner, but I always return, reaching in the pockets to find the grievances, the should-haves, the could-haves, the ought-tos, wadded up like used Kleenex. I don't know who I am without this robe. Apart from its familiar weight, I'm not sure who I can be without this mantle of bitterness. I don't know how to wear another robe. I don't know a new song, and I can't get this old one out of my head. Look what he did. Look what he did. Thanks, Cindy. Do you hear the tension in all of that? Look what he did, or maybe it's look what she did. And last week when we really focused on this circle of blame, one of the things that came out in some of the conversations that I had with people during this last week was that what if your part is this part? What if you look at your situation and you say, it was really my fault? Then what? And as I got to thinking about that this week, uh, it kind of changed the direction on a lot of what I wanted to talk about today because I realized that everybody's circumstance is different. And, and I talked to people who, who were accepting even more blame than what they should because they saw that it was their fault. And even though their part of that blame was really small, they saw it as the big part of the blame. So for some people, the entrance onto that healing path begins with forgiving yourself. Because a lot of times when you step into owning your part, to owning the piece of the pie that, that does really belong to you, it's very easy to trip over that guilt that takes place when you begin to feel guilty about what you did. And even if, even if you own just a small part, as you begin to recognize that and boil that down and to really understand, you begin to just kind of wither inside. You look at what he did, or you look at what she did, and then you look at what I did, and many times that becomes a snare that holds you on that path of hurt. And we want to be able to move on to that path of healing. So for a lot of us, it begins with forgiving ourselves. Because you see, all divorced people hold a certain level of regret. Everybody feels that certain sense of pain. And you don't hear anybody listing their life accomplishments and list that as one of their greatest accomplishments, going through a divorce. You never hear that. You never see someone do that. And maybe you carry that, 
that unbearable shame that feels like it's such a heavy load, and you made the mistake, and you blamed yourself, and that piece of the pie seems so huge to you. But here's the deal, because so many times I find myself telling people this, because they drag themselves around and they use that as a club to beat themselves with it. And what you need to hear is you are not a piece of crap. You know, I tried to think of a different way to say that. I tried to think of a a little softer way to say it, a little maybe even more churchy way to say it. But I have to tell you, that's the way to say it. And that's if I'm sitting across the table from you and you're carrying this huge blame and you haven't forgiven yourself, I'm going to look at you and I'm going to tell you, you are not a piece of crap. Because that's what you feel like. And I'm going to tell you that, yes, Malachi 2, chapter 16 does say that God hates divorce. But that does not mean that God hates you. And I have, I have sat under the weight of those words as a Christian myself. God hates divorce. And in fact, those words were one of the first things that I thought of the day that my divorce was final. That God hates divorce. And that weighed heavy on my heart, and I know it weighs heavy on your heart. But understand this, that God hates divorce because he knows the pain. And he understands the disruption in people's lives that are going to take place thousands of times over and over and over again this year as people step out of marriages and step into divorce. And he feels that pain. He hears that pain. He hears the cry of the brokenhearted. And maybe you see your life as just one big scar that you created yourself. And a lot of times I hear people that will tell me that they feel like the reason their life is such a disaster is because God's punishing them. And that breaks my heart, honestly, because God is pursuing them. And yet they continue to run away and run away and run away. And they never forgive themselves. Owning your part and forgiving yourself is the first step for you to start down that path of healing. But that's all you need to do. Because then you need to let God restore you because that's what he does it is amazing to me to see somebody that goes through a divorce and I've, I've, I've sat with people before and I've cried with people and I've seen them in this place where they are broken and then I've seen them restored I just had the privilege of, of witnessing that 
here just not very long ago when I did a wedding for a friend of mine, somebody that I had sat with and seen broken down, somebody that I had prayed with for a godly wife. And at that wedding, I told him, isn't it amazing to be standing in the presence of an answered prayer? Because God had restored him to that place. And it's an amazing thing to to watch that happen. So, when I say that it's important for you to honestly own your part, what I mean is that you have honestly looked at it, which hopefully you did this last week if you needed to do this exercise, and that you've forgiven yourself because then, and only then, you're ready to look at the rest of this, the other part of the circle of blame because this is why it's important okay owning your part keeps you from smuggling your past into your future we talked about that last week right in the same way that dealing with the other part it enables the other person to continue to bring their past with you into your future. Just like if you don't deal with your part, if you don't deal with their part in the right way, you allow the people who deceived you, the people who lied to you, the people that hurt you, you continue to allow them to influence your future. Now think about that for a minute. Who wants to do that? Who really wants to allow the person that hurt them the most to continue to influence their future? Yet the people who continue to mess with your life are very much the same ones who messed it up in the first place, right? How crazy is that? Why do we do that? But when you don't deal with your past, you allow those people to live rent-free in your heart and in your mind. And they roam around and cause chaos. And if if you've been running away, the only way that you can guarantee that your past doesn't come into your future is to deal with that part. And it seems obvious, but yet the reason people continue down the path of hurt is because they never pause and stop long enough to do it. So the question is, how far into your future do you intend to carry your stuff from your past? How long do you plan to continue to wear that same old dirty robe? How long? Another week? Another month? Another marriage? For the rest of your life? Because here's the deal. You don't plan to do that. You don't set out and say, okay, I'm just going to let them ruin my life for the rest of my life. You don't, you don't plan that. But when you don't deal with it, that's exactly what happened. The people that wrecked your life continue to wreck your life. You have to deal with it. Because if you want to move down 
that path of healing, you have to do this. You have to make up your mind to stop. Because a lot of it boils down to making the decision to do that. Now, the question is how, right? You might say, I want to do that. That sounds really good, Mike. I don't want that person messing with me anymore. Uh, and and uh, I, 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 I really want to do that, but I don't know how to do that. How can I get past what happened? How can I get past the one that hurt me so bad? And I could tell you that the answer that I'm going to give you is something that you're immediately going to want to dismiss. <laughs> and you're like, okay, so why, why are you going to tell me that? Because that's what you need to do. And that's simply this. You have to forgive. You have to forgive. And most of us dig our heels in there, and they're like, wait a minute, I am not going to do that. They've never asked for an apology, and so I am not going to give that to them. I will not do that. And we dig our heels in, and we plant our feet and go, uh-uh. And we don't want to do that. <laughs> but here's the deal. And this is a truth bomb. I'm going to drop it on you right now, and I'm going to say it twice because it's so important. Life gets so much easier when you accept the apologies that never occur. Say it one more time. Life gets so much easier when you accept the apologies that never occur. And that goes way beyond divorce. You can apply that to anything where anybody has harmed you or done something wrong. Life gets easier when you take the initiative to forgive and accept the apology that's never been given. Forgiving that other person allows you, it allows you to learn lessons from the past. But when you fail to forgive that person, you remain captive in the past. And the only lesson that you learn by living in the past is how to be a victim. And I see so many people who spend the rest of their life living out the story of being a victim. And they walk around with that dirty robe because it's all they know. And they live that life all because they refuse to do it. But you know, in church, when we talk about forgiveness, uh, it, 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 we talk about it so much that it becomes something like that it's something that we receive, not something that we give. You know, we talk a lot about God's forgiveness for us, and so it's, it's kind of this thing that, that, that we just get instead of something that we give. But there's a, there's a passage in Scripture that Paul does that he provides to us in the letter to the Ephesians that, that is so good because it teaches us what forgiveness really is all about. And it teaches, it, teaches us how it applies to us. And, and Paul had so many regrets that he could, he could have in the past. 
But here's the deal. He says, no. He says, look at this. Look at this. I want you to understand what forgiveness is. And if you look at Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to look at this first. And, and, and it's probably one that you've heard many, many times. But hopefully you'll look at it in a different frame. Ephesians 4.26 says, In your anger do not sin. Now in the Greek there, uh, and, and I'm not a Greek theologian by any means, so don't come up with your Greek Bible and ask me to read out of it. But there are people that I do know and trust that can do it. And, and, and this is what they point out is there's actually two imperatives in that verse where it's really saying, be angry and don't sin. There's two things there. In your anger, do not sin. Be angry, but don't sin. And then he goes on. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry. Now, normally, when we look at that verse, we think about marriage, right? And we're like, okay, you need to make up before you, before you go to bed. You need to, you, you need to say, I'm sorry, and, and, and kiss and make up or whatever you have to do so you don't go to bed, be mad at each other the next morning because it just gets worse. And, and we hear that verse talked about a lot in that mindset. But really, the principle that Paul is talking about here is just deal with it. Don't sit in that mess. Deal with it. Do something about it. It goes back to that question of how long are you going to carry this anger? How long are you going to carry that down the road? How long are you going to wear that ugly robe? That's what it boils down to. And he says, how many sunsets are you going to have go by before you make up your mind and refuse to allow that person to continue to influence your life. And then Paul goes on in verse 27. So he's, <clears throat> and he says, And do not give the devil a foothold. And if you notice there, the word devil is, is lowercase. Because, again, if you look at the Greek... There's a lot of translations that translates that, that as liar because it's not necessarily talking about the devil in particular, but it's talking about the one who is a liar, which we refer to uh, the devil as the father of lies a lot of times, right? But he's talking about the liar. And if you really want to make this verse impactful to you, if you want to make it sing to you in a way, and if you're sitting in this and you've been dealing with your anger, here's what you can do. You can take out that word devil and substitute whoever's name it is. Whoever that person is that has hurt you, whoever that person is that has, has messed up your life, take that out. Do not let Frank have a foothold in your life. Do not let your ex, whatever their name might be, do not let that professor that was such a jerk and flunked you out of school, do not let your ex-boss, who, who, who was a total jerk, do not let them have a foothold in your life. And that's such a huge thing because then it becomes our choice. Look at the do nots there. They're all directed at you. Do not. And Paul is saying, come on, come on, come on. Don't do it. But really, in the end, it's, it's your choice. And notice something else. He does not say one of those do nots 
is do not be angry. He doesn't say that. Because you're going to be angry. And it's okay to be angry. A lot of times we feel like it's, it's not Christian if we're angry, but that's not the case here. He just says, in your anger, do not sin. In other words, be angry, but don't sin. Don't live in that anger. And that's the difference that takes place. You see people who live in that anger. And here's the deal. No matter what kind of future you want to have, if you live in that anger, that anger determines your future. And that anger will drive your future. So it's your choice. How long? And then he goes on in verse 31. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. Get rid of it. Take out the trash. Clean it out. It's a process that you have to go through when we talk about this path of healing. This is exactly what we're talking about because all of those things are what you find in people that go through divorce. All these things are things that you find in people that go through any kind of restart in their life. There's bitterness, there's rage, there's anger, and it's all there. And then he goes on, along with every form of malice. And then he says, instead, be kind and compassionate to one another. And then here's our word, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. You see, Paul shows here that forgiveness is more than just a word or something that you receive. Because when he frames it in that aspect... It's like it's almost this thing that he's going to do that's going to make you feel guilty and said, you know, uh, forgive each other just as Christ forgave you. You know, and he's like, twist the knife a little bit. You know, make you feel guilty. That's, that's really not what he's doing. He's, he's putting it into context about what forgiveness is. What, what is it that Christ did for you? He pardoned you. Isn't that what the gospel is really all about? How God said, you're not deserving, you're a sinner, but I'm going to apply grace to this, and I'm going to allow my son to take away your sins. And by doing so, he doesn't take away our guilt. We're guilty of it. We deserve death. But he says, you're pardoned. You're forgiven. And when you look at it that way, when you're talking about forgiving this person that has hurt you, forgiving this person that has totally wrecked your life, that's what you're doing, is you're offering a pardon. You're not telling them that they didn't do anything wrong. You're not assuming any more of the blame than what's yours. You're simply saying you're forgiven. I never will forget when I realized that I had forgiven the guy that 
had wrecked my had been a part of wrecking my marriage. And I some of you a lot of you have heard my story and if not go back and and re- hear the podcast but uh the the guy that was a pastor at our church that I'd been friends with for a long time and served alongside as an elder for a long time um had a relationship um with my wife that lasted about 4 years and went through a lot of things trying to to fix that and it just would never get fixed and she finally decided that she didn't want to be with me and she wanted to be with him and and so that all blew up in my life and and uh i was i had all those things i had bitterness i had anger i had rage i had all those things but i never will forget when i finally realized that i had forgiven him because he had left the church and and was starting to he had started selling insurance and i was sitting at a stoplight at 48th and prescott and i was sitting there and i was in my dodge dakota pickup truck with a v8 and four wheel drive lots of power let's just say that all right i love dodge dakotas I'm sitting at this stoplight, and I look over, and the guy that's just getting ready to cross the street on the red light was him. Yeah, there's two, there's two of them, two guys. And I'm sitting there thinking, one slip is all it would take. And then, to tempt me even further, one of the guys dropped a paper. And this guy stopped to pick it up. So he is directly in front of me, bent over, picking up a piece of paper, and the other guy keeps walking. I have a clear shot. This guy has no idea that he is four inches within his depth. Within his depth. Because that's the space between the brake and the gas pedal. It's kind of what I figured, four inches. And it's amazing. This probably all took maybe less than a minute. But it's amazing all the things that can run through your mind. Things like, is it, would it be worth it? Maybe. You know, there's just all these things that are, are going through my mind. But, but then it became funny to me. And, and instead of, you know, gripping that steering wheel, uh, I'll guarantee you, six months before that, I would have at least lurched forward. I'll guarantee you. There would have been at least a little, you know, and stop, just to scare him. Because he had no idea. But it just simply became kind of a funny moment. And I began to laugh and just, just think, this is kind of cool. I don't want to kill him. I, I don't hate him anymore. And that was this moment when, when I realized that, that forgiveness had really taken place. And even though I had already reached that point where I had said that I had forgiven him, It wasn't until that process of getting rid of all that crud that I finally realized it was real. 
and that it had happened. And maybe you're one of those people who have thought that. I've forgiven that person. I have, um, you know, I've, I've, I've read that Bible verse, and so I've forgiven them. But yet you continue to struggle with that. And if the person that had hurt you had walked in front of you, you would have let off on the pedal and not only ran over him once but backed up and, and applied a few more skid marks on, on top. Okay, and, and maybe you're still struggling with that. And, and so I've got a suggestion for you, and this can buy, kind of be your homework for next week because uh, if you're dealing with somebody that's going through a divorce, this is a great thing that you can have them do. And that is to not only just say that you've forgiven them because you've just done that generally, but instead to make a list. To sit down and make a list and say, what did they steal from you? What is it that they did that hurt you the most? What did they lie about? What did they mess up? And be as specific as you can about it. And make that list. And, and it may be amazing how big of a list that ends up getting. But then I want you to look at that list and ask yourself this question. What could they possibly do to repay that? An apology is not going to fix that. No amount of money is going to fix that list. They can't. And yet you're expecting them to make it better. And they can't. You've got to look at that list and just say, I pardon you. You're guilty of this. You can read them off one count at a time and then say, you're pardoned. I forgive you. It's hard but on the path of healing, you will find that time is your best friend. Don't rush through this. Don't expect you to be there tomorrow. Don't expect to hear this message and go, Whew, I feel so much better. I've forgiven them. Hallelujah. Because that's not how it works. It takes time. And it doesn't happen overnight. But what I'm asking you today to do is this. Decide. Decide that you are going to begin that process of getting rid of all the bitterness and anger and rage that's inside you. Because I'm telling you, that's what God wants for you, from you. He wants a story that doesn't end there. He wants a story that goes on chapter after chapter. A story that is worth telling again and again and again. A story of grace and redemption. A story that looks at what God did for you and then sees you make the choice to do the same thing for that person that has hurt you and wrecked your life the most. That's the story that God wants for you. The story where that tattered, 
beat up, guilty cloth is left behind on the path of healing. That's what God wants from you today. Let me pray for you. God, we want forgiveness. But it's so hard for us to offer that to others. And God, I know that what you are asking of us and the example that you said is such a high bar. And it feels like we're giving up so much when we finally let go of that anger and that hurt. But God, help us to, to just see the, the freedom that comes in that. Help us to see how beautiful that story can become. How much brighter things will look for us if we will just let go of the anger. If we'll just be willing to forgive. And God, I just pray for each person here this morning. And I, I, you know hearts this morning, and you're looking there right now, wondering whether today is the day that they will run to your arms and come back. And my prayer is that that moment will be right now, that you'll just work through your spirit to change hearts to change minds and to set them free. And we pray that, God, because your son did it for us. And it's in his name that we pray it.